Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. Oh, I thought you'd never ask. I'm Jeff. <laughs> we, and we have a distinguished group of people with us today. Packed house. Yeah. Uh, more people than mics today, so which is kind of cool. Um, and you know what? Since I screwed up last time, uh, I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves. How about that? That's that's a that's a good plan. <laughs> Starting with you, Jay. Uh, Jay Brenneman, um, STSM. I do Linux One hybrid cloud integration test. Uh, essentially, we try to run every single OpenShift package that can possible possibly run on Linux on System Z. And Brian. Hey guys, I'm Brian Pinarchin. I'm the chief architect for Ansible for the ZOS ecosystem. So working on the technical side and putting out all the good Ansible content for the Z platform. And then Dan. Save the best for last. Hey everybody, <laughs> uh, my name is Dan Jast. I am the senior product manager here at IBM covering our Ansible for IBM Z ecosystem. Um, doing a lot of the client-facing work as well as working with Brian and our development teams to make sure that the requirements from our clients are being met um, via development deliverables. And there's obviously a lot to talk about there because IBM has been pushing um, Ansible as a tool for for managing everything everywhere all the time. Um, and and we've actually had quite a bit of of movement in the in the ZOS side over the last couple of years. Uh, but considering the crowd we have here, um, maybe it's better to talk a little bit about what can I do on VM for this? Well, now... Oh, Jay comes alive. I can, <laughs> I can say that you can do stuff with Ansible to VM if you have Smappy configured. So, yes. I mean, the, the, yeah, the laughter is noted. <laughs> If, if you have Smappy running and if you have a couple of other widgets now um, with the ZVM Ansible collection that I'm working on and is publicly available on GitHub, you can now go and do things like create a virtual machine, start a virtual machine, stop a virtual machine, add many disks to a virtual machine. Ah, as of this morning, we can dedicate OSA devices and dedicate DASD volumes to a virtual machine as well as uh, FCP devices. So... Um, Progress is being made. And, and this basically was something that I did kind of as a, as a result of the, the work that my team is doing in the OpenShift space, right? So uh, there is existing automation for Ansible to create an OpenShift cluster if you're using a technology such as IBM Cloud Infrastructure Center that then in turn is helping manage your ZVM environment for you. But... Because IBM Cloud Infrastructure Center is based on OpenStack, there's a boatload of limitations that it comes with. Um, the, the most egregious of which, at least in my opinion, is that you only get two devices, two disk devices with a virtual machine via OpenStack. Well, who could need more than that? <laughs> who could possibly ever need more than that? Why and would you want more? And if you want to add more disk after that, you have to use Cinder, which only supports SAN, which there's a bunch of use cases that you can't do, right? So uh, I started looking at using Ansible to say, hey, what could we do with Ansible to go and maybe figure out a way to talk to the systems management API to then in turn ask Dermate to go and make more mini disks out of the, you know, the Dermate disk pool and attach it to virtual machines for me. And it turned out, yeah, you could 
absolutely totally do that, and it kind of works good. So I then expanded it out and said, hey, could I use this to do make virtual machines in their entirely, entirety? And that also turns out to be possible and fairly straightforward, honestly. Um, so at this point, basically what I've got is I've got a set of Ansible modules that talk to the ZVM Systems Management API, and you can basically do a complete end-to-end uh, OpenShift cluster creation on a ZVM system. Now, um, in I, I do want to clarify that this is not instead of IBM Cloud Infrastructure Center. If you have IBM Cloud Infrastructure Center and you like IBM Cloud Infrastructure Center, keep using IBM <laughs> Cloud Infrastructure Center. But when you run into some of the limitations of what cloud infrastructure can and can't do, now you have a tool to work around some of those limitations. And there are other customers who do not have IBM Cloud Infrastructure Center and will never have (laughs) IBM Cloud Infrastructure Center because they have an aversion to OpenStack as a technology. Well, this is something that they can use instead and still get some of those kinds of automatable ZVM management experiences without having to go and invent too much stuff themselves. So I have a ton of questions based on what you just said. But I think maybe it'd be good to start by making sure that everybody understands exactly what Ansible is. Um, Dan, you want to start just kind of? Yeah, absolutely. So about four years ago, IBM named Ansible, and more specifically the Red Hat Ansible automation platform, the strategic direction for automation for uh, ZOS specifically, and more holistically the IBM Z platform, but you know the team that Brian and I sit on is more specifically in ZOS. Um, what we've been trying to do since the last four years is trying to expand that ecosystem out with other products, other teams, and that's why the contribution from you know Jay to the open source community has been a, you know, a great step in providing that extra you know, um, capability with Ansible here. But more generally, what Ansible is, is it's an automation platform, right? Today, we on ZOS and across different other options within Z, we have different products or different capabilities when it comes to automation, right? On ZOS, we have Rex, we have JCL, we have ZOSMF workflows, Zoe CLI scripts. I could probably keep going on, but I don't (laughs) want to uh, scare anyone away. Um, and really, you know, bringing all of those together and being able to manage them from one single pane of glass with one common programming language, which is Ansible Playbooks and YAML Syntax, um, really lets us leverage industry standards and common skills and practices to build automation agnostic of what infrastructure or operating system or middleware you're automating against. Um, so that's kind of what the mission of our group in Ansible is trying to do here is automating the IBM Z platform as just another server in the enterprise, no different from a networking switch, a distributed system, right? Same language, same experience, um, just being able to provide the more task-specific, um, you know, orientation for Z um, tasks. And this is what I've, I've actually been seeing with a lot of, of customers. They already have a huge Ansible footprint, and they're like, hey, I want to bring this, this system in. And I've actually had quite a bit of luck with people in ZOS. Um, but then they say, well, this ZOS stuff is great, but, you know, we have a big ZVM footprint as well. Now, now Ansible usually talks to systems through uh, SSH. How, do, how does that work on ZVM? 
through trickery, and magic, and lies. <laughs> um, yeah, so there is no SSH daemon for ZVM. There is no Python runtime for ZVM. So in order for this to work, you have to have a Linux virtual machine running inside of the ZVM hypervisor that you wish to manage. That Linux virtual machine, in turn, must be authorized to talk to the ZVM systems management API. The ZVM systems management API must be configured and it must be running. You must have some type of directory automation tool behind the systems management API, either IBM Dermaint or one of the other ISV offerings that is compatible. Once you have all of that, then you can go and download the Ansible playbooks and then the collection for ZVM and then you can install it locally and then you can run it. What will eventually actually happen is the the inventory that you end up creating, you do have to basically set that um, the, the Ansible host value to say, yeah, we're, we're, this is a Linux virtual machine that I have in the inventory, but don't connect to the IP address of the Linux virtual machine. <laughs> connect to this other thing over here and use this other ID and run the Ansible rendered target on that thing. And then this magic virtual machine will appear out of the ether. <laughs> And then wait 30 seconds and you can connect into it and continue on with the rest of your workflow. Do, does somebody need to have a lot of skills at Dermate and SMAPI in order to get so, rolling? Yes and no. Um, somebody's got to set Smappy up for you. Right. Um, and that is going to be your ZVM systems programmer. Somebody has to tell you what devices you can use for stuff. That's going to be your ZVM systems programmer. Somebody has to tell you what pools of disk you can claim space out of. That's your ZVM systems programmer. So this is not something that you can go and just write whatever you want willy-nilly and target an IP address with it and expect <laughs> magic to go and happen. No, you, you do have to actually understand kind of sort of what these things are doing with respect to a directory entry. You don't have to know how to do a dermate command to do this. You don't have to do any CMS anything to do this. So it is just native Ansible YAML modifications to go and create an inventory that's going to work and then run the modules. So it's native Ansible, but it is designed kind of from the sensibility of a person who is also a ZVM systems programmer because that's kind of what I happen to be. Yeah. So would you would you set aside a pool of resources and like say these are going to be grabbed by Ansible whenever it needs to do something? Not quite. Okay. Um, it's it's we don't we don't have pooling of resources beyond what Dermain already offers. Okay. So things like um, DASD space, right? Within Dermain, you can go and say, hey, I'm gonna say these regions of space on these volumes are going to be named this pool in Dermaint. And then as I allocate many disks, it will be allocated out of those regions on those volumes. We don't have things like pools of um, OSA adapters, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, you, we don't have something to say, hey, just give me the, any three free OSA adapters and do the dedication. No, that, we, don't, we don't have that because that's not a thing that Dermaint can do. So there wasn't anything for me to go and take advantage of there. So you do, if, for, for those kinds of things, you do have to talk to somebody somewhere to get a listing of here's the, here's the devices you can use for these things. 
But, you know, once you have that, then you don't have to ask them for them again because hopefully they have marked them as yours and right. they don't allocate them to somebody else. You'll either. only see what you should be using. Right. And, and all this stuff is really limited to things that Dermain can do. I can't do... It's vastly more limited than that. It's limited <laughs> to what Smappy can do. Fair enough. You're right. Um, Smappy can only do a tiny subset of what Dermain's right. actually capable of. And this, this is a known gap, okay? Um, there, there's a bunch of things that conceptually could happen in terms of writing additional Smappy extensions because Smappy is designed to be extendable. However... We also have to have the thing on the Linux side that can talk to Smappy correctly for those new things that you have created. And the tool that we have right now for talking to Smappy does not allow you to do any arbitrary set of commands to a Smappy-like target. It, it, it requires a deep understanding of what the API that you're talking to looks like because it does a lot of client-side validation of those calls before passing them on to Smappy. Which is probably a good thing. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely a good design. Like, there was a previous implementation of this that was basically a do-anything, pass, <laughs> pass a string over to Smappy, and then Smappy would get the anything string and be like, I don't know what this means, and it would leave an error. Or you could go and you could write your own API calls and tuck it into Smappy, and you could do all kinds of crazy stuff but, oh, by the way, it was reliant upon all of the other security that you wrapped around the Smappy and that target system, which nobody did. So it was deemed to be a bad plan. Yeah. And mm. so that function was deprecated. Good to know. So, Jay, um, it sounds like, I don't know if we have interfaces for, for Dermain, but do you think there's any opportunities for us to leverage Ansible for some of the... Uh, you know, getting some of the dependencies or, you know, getting Snappy configured for us to, to use, you know, the ZVM collection as well? I mean, unfortunately, no, right? <laughs> that, because ultimately all of that requires that you essentially do a bunch of things from the CMS mm. operating environment inside of ZVM. And that's, you know, that, that's the gap, right? It's mm -hmm. like we, the only thing that we can do right now is we can talk to the systems management API. And if there is a systems management API for it, yeah, I can totally go and write a, my, a module that will talk to it, and you can do it Ansibly in, I don't know, however long it takes me to get the module written. Uh, the, uh, the dedicate and undedicate device module, I literally wrote it this morning and started at 9 a.m., and I was done by noon. Wow. So, like, it's not a huge deal because you're literally just wrapping uh, essentially a conversion of Python YAML-ish parameters into a string that you then pass as a command to, to Smappy. So the innards of the modules basically are mostly just, you know, building these command strings and then trying to figure out how to implement the item potency of what you expect to be able to do with, uh, with Ansible. But, yeah, so the, the CMS stuff, yeah, that's not there. And... Um, Again, I, I'm working with the ZVM development organization on how we might try to go and solve some of this, but that's actually a really, really hard problem because how would we go and actually implement SSHD in ZVM? Like there, there is, there is a, a science project written by uh, an ISV slash consultant that you know we're aware of for SSHD. However, 
it does a bunch of weird stuff and it doesn't do exactly it doesn't behave exactly how you would think it would and then it still doesn't solve python so we're we're still working on how we might do that without re-implementing the pass string to super high privileged process that then goes and does things what could go wrong Exactly. <laughs> I did want to go back, Jeff, to your original question, though, of do you need to be a ZVM expert to build this? And to build the automation itself, I'd say yes, right? Because you need to understand the inner workings of ZVM and the manual steps that you've been doing for years to be able to complete these processes. But I think that's step one in building the future we're looking for for Ansible, right? Because once the ZVM wizard, Jay, goes out and creates these playbooks, right, to automate these different ZVM tasks, then that playbook, right, could be more of a self-service actionable tile within OpenShift or within the Ansible automation platform dashboard itself for the less experienced people to come in and perform those tasks with a lot of the complexity abstracted through things like surveys and templates where we can kind of, you know, specify different dropdowns and variables that we can replace throughout our playbook runs and kind of take some of that complexity, you know, out of the hands of all the deeper knowledge required on the ZVM side. Very similar to what we're doing on the Ansible side, where we kind of see these different playbooks and things that we're creating as almost self-service catalog entries for developers and, um, you know, operations folks to be able to hop in, not have to require them to have multiple hops between the system programmers, the middleware management groups, the security groups, the networking groups, and all the different, you know, uh, you know points that, that re- you know, require people's work to get these uh, tasks done where we can kind of simplify that all down within automation. Yeah, and Jay, you said something earlier that like I, I think is uh, kind of key to this if I'm reading it right, is that you need that information up front. You need the system programmer to say, look, I'll give you this range and this range and this range and whatever you can see is fine. You're only going to screw yourself up. I'm hoping that with like the, the transition from you know, Ansel being like a tool to a plat to a framework to a platform, it can kind of get more to that set it up in the front, check on it every once in a while kind of thing. Is that kind of the the mindset? Yeah, I would definitely say that's the mindset where instead of having to adjust your processes manually from time to time as new features come out or, um, you know, continuing to provide that that deep, deep, deep level of education um, that's required. It can be so more of, okay, what is the automated process that we've stood up in, in place here? And how are we going to maintain that automated process to continue to evolve, which is probably a lot smaller in scope than the overall management too? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely dog-fooding this with my team in that you know, I've got a bunch of relatively new hires that so far have recoiled in terror from the CMS environment. <laughs> and, you know, I give them, okay, here's a couple of playbooks, try this. And, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're going hog wild and making all kinds of cool infrastructure using this tool today in my config. Now, you know, I'm in the back end making sure that, you know, they don't exhaust these pools of resources or if they do exhaust a pool, it's one that I intend for them to exhaust to verify error recovery and other stuff because, again, we're a test lab. But, you know, it, it, it's absolutely already at a point where, you know, presumably if you have someone who is a ZVM person to get the Smappy and Linux target system up and running, after that, just installing the Ansible collection and taking advantage of it is... It's about as easy as you could possibly want it to be. 
Yeah. And Jay's not lying because we were out to dinner with one of your team members last night and he was actually telling us about how great Ansible was. And I was like, oh, you're doing our job for us. You're telling me how great our product is. <laughs> oh, we're going to need more microphones in here. <laughs> so um, you're the one who's doing a lot of the ZVM stuff. Are you doing all that alone? Define alone. Do you have other ZVM sysprogs that are are also creating content, or are, are they you... in the room with us right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I'm I'm not alone <clears throat> on this, right? Um, I'm the only committer in the repo at the moment, but basically I'm I'm working with the um, the old hands, shall we say, out of Endicott to say. You know, this is the strategic direction that the platform is going. You know, what else do you want me to do, you know, from my end? And who are you going to ship over to help me do this? Because so some other stuff that we haven't even talked about yet. At the moment, basically, this is just all sitting on the, um, the github.com slash IBM ZVM underscore Ansible repo right now. But ultimately, we want this to get included into the IBM and Red Hat Ansible certified collection. Right. But there's a boatload of process that I got to go through first to get this into shape such that it's acceptable and can be verified and tested independently. And one of those factors is it needs to be more than a single man operation. So we're working on that, uh-huh. looking for you know, other people within the the. ZVM development organization to pick up and, and help with this. But but at the end of the day, it doesn't just have to be IBMers doing this, right? No, not really. Any any person who has ZVM talent could be involved in... And as a matter of fact, um, we, we are already working with some Red Hat consultants who have found this and are picking this up and, and looking at using it in some customer proof-of-concept configurations that they're building now. And I'm aware that the Red Hat team has on-prem some ZVM configurations. And, you know, I'm reaching out my hand in their general direction via the <laughs> podcast and saying, hey, how you guys doing? Tag. Would, would, would you like to have an opportunity to improve everyone's life? Yeah, circle one, YN. <laughs> Is is it safe to say that the the ZVM community is likely to be more hands on, you know, get mud all over everything, you know, go under the covers than maybe like a, um, you know, um, Azure or AWS type, you know? Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> the, these these people like to write modifications to the nucleus because they think it's cool. I was gonna say this sounds like a bitwise operation yep. kind of a. In, 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 in terms of the people involved often, yes. Um, yeah, there's, um, there, there is some seriously deep skill in the ZVM community. And, uh, and you know, as, I, as I've shown this to people, everybody that I've shown it to has been like, wow, that's cool. So, you know, I'm getting good feedback. Nice. Um, Brian, have you been kind of working with a bunch of clients that are interested in this, or I know you guys are primarily ZOS, but it's got to bleed, right? Yeah, actually, um, you know, when Jay reached out, we were super excited because ZVM actually was one of the use cases that had come up early on, you know, in our Ansible journey. So um, 
just kind of bringing it back a little bit, we started looking into Ansible back in 2019. And, you know, you know, from the start, you know, we're reaching out to clients seeing what's your Ansible usage look like, you know, um, and things like that. And ZVM definitely was uh, one of the areas that had come up. And we had some chats with some folks from the ZVM side at the time. And I think, you know, that's where ICIC was, you know, was coming up, you know, and was sort of the strategic direction, I think, that was still sort of, you know, being determined there. Um, and due to some of the technical restrictions that we're all aware of, right, you know, um, we saw that, you know, maybe this is somewhere where we're going to kind of see how, you know, ICIC plays out and also see, um, you know, kind of come back and, and revisit that, right? Um, it wasn't sort of a critical area that, you know, clients were kind of driving after. So we kind of, you know, had it on our backlog with the with the idea that, you know, we would come back and, and revisit that. So um, you can guess kind of how excited we, are, we were when kind of Jay reached out and said, hey, I've got this this stuff that's, that, you know, I'm working on with Ansible and it's, and it's looking good. Um, and um, especially as well as we started, you know, talking about it with our clients who were like, this is exactly what I've been looking for, right? And and I want to get my hands on this now, um, and it already caters to some of the use cases. So, you know, we're really excited about that. So I think this is my opportunity to do my call to arms just like Jay did before. Because <laughs> sometimes it just takes that person to take that initiative and that step to write an initial kind of, you know, MVP here. You know, I wouldn't say what's being provided as MVP because I think it's a little bit more robust than that. But um, takes that initiative to, to really get started here, get something out in the community, get some feedback on it. And then, you know, we'll figure out the, the official support, you know, flow and steps behind the scenes, that, you know, as we go here and as the client interest really develops, right? Um, but, you know, to, to the different, you know, ISVs and different other community members contributing into this Z space, you know, there's a lot of interest around Ansible. You know, the more content out of the box we can provide to really allow for a very easy entry point for our customers to get started in this space, the better Ansible can really serve as that automation glue, you know, helping with the communication across a lot of these different offerings that our clients have in-house. Well, and it doesn't necessarily have to be just code either, right? If people can grab the stuff that, um, that's been created and test it out and try and play with it, and I think that's just as valuable. Absolutely, yeah. Point. Any demos showing off how it's being done, come to conferences and present with me on how you're using this stuff. I'd love to have you. Um, and then, you know, I think from a code perspective, we do have a repository. It's called the Ansible for IBM Z playbook repository. Um, we have almost 200 playbooks in there today, you know, showcasing many different use cases that span way beyond the collections that we currently support as a part of the certified content. Um, but it's open source. Anyone can contribute to it, and it's a great place to not only help others get started as a really great entry point with playbooks, but also that public content is actually what's being used to train the foundational models for the generative AI flavors, right? So the more content we contribute to the um, to the Ansible community and the open source community, the better the recommendations and the content suggestions we'll get back from Ansible Lightspeed with Watson Code Assistant will be as well. You know, since you brought it up, I was, I was going to ask you if you could talk about Lightspeed just a little bit? Yeah, so Ansible Lightspeed is our generative AI solution, you know, catered to uh, generating, you know, Ansible playbooks and, and other content like that. So it is powered by Watson Code Assistant. Um, some of the same foundational models that are being used for Watson Code Assistant for Z, right? But we've got a fine-tuned model um, for COBOL to Java and then another tuned model for Ansible content. So, 
Um, that started off, you know, as a uh, smaller project called Project Wisdom, which was a collaborative of engagement between Red Hat and IBM. Uh, Red Hat, you know, providing obviously the the Ansible sort of integration components. Um, Ansible Lightspeed is provided by the uh, VS Code uh, plugin uh, for Ansible that's provided by Red Hat. Um, so all of the the interface, you know, components that you see there, and some of the uh, data handling and um, translation that and and streaming over to Watson Code Assistant. That's all handled um, by the Red Hat uh, side of the house, and then um, all of the other, um, you know. Uh, AI and, and modeling that's done and hosted, that's all hosted by IBM. Um, so uh, it's been a long journey, but I'm really excited to see where we've gone now. And, you know, right now uh, with the current GA with Watson Code Assistant and Lightspeed, you know, we are able to um, do some uh, task generation. So, and again, as Dan mentioned, this is all trained with, you know, all the content that's out in Ansible Galaxy as well as Ansible Automation Hub and all sorts of like sample playbooks and things like that that are out there on GitHub, um, in particular under the um, IBM uh, organization. So a lot of the content that we have focused uh, sample playbooks around uh, IBM Z, that's also been used to train the models there. So. Um, so you can leverage Ansible Lightspeed today, you know, against all of our um, ZOS collections, you know, whether you're trying to submit a JCL or run an operator command, you can throw that into to VS Code and you, you'll get some good recommendations. Um, but again, as Dan mentioned, we're trying to continuously improve that. And, um, you know, the biggest, most uh, 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 important thing around that is really having our quality prompts um, in our samples. So, you know, we want to get more and more samples out there in the community um, and that sort of segues into just one I thought that I wanted to bring up as well. That's a, a, an area that we've been advocating a lot for as well as we've been, you know, working in the Ansible space is really trying to cultivate this more open um, and engaged community around Ansible and around just open tools in general, right? Um, Ansible, you know, is an open source project. We've also followed that lead with all of our Ansible collections being open source, our sample playbook repository being open source, advocating for folks to come and contribute, right? We're more than happy to, to have folks contribute to our Ansible collections, to our sample repository. Um, and we definitely are getting folks who are starting to to dive into there, you know, especially when we're getting issues and things opening up against some of our collection folks are saying more than just, oh, I'm getting this issue. It's, well, I think actually your problem is in this line of code here. They're actually going further and taking a look and growing their Python skills as well, which is great. And, and I know... Frank, you've got a lot of experience as well working with customers, and in particular around Python. So we're really happy to see that as well. So how long before Lightspeed is so smart, I, I don't need Jay anymore? <laughs> I don't know if we'll be able to ever get to that point where we can replace someone like Jay, but, you know, we're really looking forward to getting that, you know, component, you know, to handle a lot more capabilities, more than just single task generation. So, so in, ter in terms of like, <laughs> yeah, you mentioned like playbook repositories, uh, collections, certified collections. I was wondering if you can kind of briefly go over the, the hierarchy of where this content is. Because I'm imagining somebody kind of, you know, saying, okay, it's time to, you know, check out Ansible and might be afraid to open the door because they feel like the universe is going to hit them. So like what, what's the, where, where does one start and then branch out into yeah, so I think a great place to start is on our IBM Z and Linux One community for Ansible for IBM Z. Um, right within there, first of all, we link to all of our most popular resources within all of our blogs and videos and demos that we're publishing. So all the resources that we've already mentioned are all linked within there. But two, 
Um, we put more dedicated blogs out focused on use cases and how you can get started and um, kind of step-by-step guides on implementing these playbooks into your environments and things like that, right? As well as we host a monthly meeting every was second Wednesday of every month called the Ansible for IBM Z Community Guild. And this is a set of early adopting customers and IBMers who are contributing or using Ansible in this space. Um, we've have many, many customers that are joining that call every single month. And on that call, we're sharing our roadmap. We're sharing what content's available, new content that's coming out, deeper dives into the newer modules so they understand what's happening behind the scenes. Um, You know, all this type of stuff that's helping our customers understand the capabilities. Um, I'd say one kind of single landing page that anyone can go to to access all of our information. If you just Google Ansible for IBM Z, you're going to come to two pages. You're going to get the Red Hat integration page, which any certified integration um, you know, that gets contributed into the Ansible ecosystem has their own integration page. So Z has its own integration page. Note, it does need updates, so don't call <laughs> me out on those, but um, we will get those loaded in there. Um, the other page is our Ansible for IBM Z content solutions page led by our design team, which is more of a getting started in big picture type of guide of where Ansible fits in the Z space. So I'd say those three resources I just mentioned will get you to the right things. And if you don't find the right things, you know, feel free to drop an email into my inbox and I'll be happy to uh, direct you in the right direction as well. In, in terms of like the everything is there and you can use it versus like the walled garden approach, which one does Ansible take and, and where does where does that separation occur? Yeah, so... Um, so there's a couple of different areas or places where you can grab um, some of our stuff and the Ansible stuff in general. So as I mentioned, Ansible is an open source project project and or a consolidation of a bunch of different open source projects. Um, so those are all available um, in their individual open source components, whether it be the Ansible engine, Ansible navigator, uh, Ansible CLI, Ansible Builder, and and what Red Hat does is it packages that all up into you know a nice offering with service and support, additional testing, and things like that into what they call Ansible Automation Platform, which is what requires you know your Red Hat you know AAP subscription. Um, but again, folks can go out there and uh, and I'll mention also Ansible Controller. That's a really important one yeah. that you can get um, as AWX in the open community, but. Um, Alongside collections, right, in our content, that's where there's two different repositories as well. So Ansible Galaxy is a community repository that we heavily leverage as well for a lot of our beta releases. So a lot of our collections, you know, we like to put out betas um, with sort of new modules to be able to have our users test the waters, give us early feedback and all that before we actually go out with an official GA release, which then gets released to both Galaxy and then Ansible Automation Hub. Again, another resource that you only get um, through a subscription to Ansible Automation Platform. Um, And then, of course, you can always go to GitHub and build the collections yourself if you're more of an advanced user. So maybe Galaxy and GitHub on tests and Automation Hub on prod? That's right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So do you, what do you say to customers who say, all this open source stuff makes me nervous. You know, I'm not used to doing that on Z. You know, wh- why should I do this Ansible stuff? It sounds too open sourcey for me. What do you call your pile of rec scripts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I didn't get that from the internet, right? <laughs> Yeah, I you wrote, did. I wrote them all myself. No, you didn't. <laughs> you took something that somebody else wrote that you got you shared over a mailing list twenty years ago. Hey, CBT tape is perfectly fine. Same thing. 
and you modified it for local <clears throat> use, and then you obfuscated a bunch of stuff about where it came from to keep anybody else from discovering that you don't know how to actually you know, do whatever the hell that thing is. <laughs> and now none of the people that are coming along after you want to touch it because it's all scary on the inside. But it works, and so nobody touches it, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, it, the, the, the Ansible universe will end up in similar places without, you know, some, some deep attention on everybody committing themselves to the open source philosophy of if you make a change that you think might be useful to somebody else— Send a PR, you know, I mean, I've, I, I had to have a conversation with one person about, um, hey, it'd be really cool if we did this that integrated with a completely different API that was RESTful instead of, you know, instead of the Smappy interface. And it, it, it broke my heart, but I did have to say, nah, man, I, I can't do that because, like, this is really, really tightly coupled to the way Smappy works. So I did have to turn somebody down and, like... Uh, I, I I still feel bad about it. I'm talking about it publicly. About how bad I feel. I'm sorry, Nan. I'm sorry. But but you know, aside from that, like, hey, you know, I I know there's bugs in what I've already written, and you know, I've already accepted a pull request from somebody that was, hey, you've got a typo on your doc. So you know, I'll sure if it if it makes it overall better, but stays holistically within the the philosophy of what we're trying to do. Yeah, we'll take pull requests. I'm not proud. <laughs> well, and that's why the you know the 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 thing about Python that I like is that for the most part, the community really is looking to make sure that they create Pythonic code and not just Rex is a little bit too free in the way you do things. And sure, if you want to do it that way, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. But well, go ahead, right? Um, and and not that you can't do that in Python, you can. But the community, <laughs> but but the community tends to be a little more um, responsible than that. I think you know when we talk about reusability of code and automation, I think an interesting perspective. At least you know I started as a system programmer way back in the day, in the not too far back in the day, in the <laughs> client centers. Um, and you know I thought it was amazing that. There's no source control management happening for JCL for the most part, right? It's really just me going to my experienced system programmers, existing PDS, finding the job I need to run that I have no idea really what it does. I know I need to change these parameters. Sort by last changed. Right? Sort by last changed. <laughs> um, and submit it from there. And if I accidentally, you know, changed the golden copy that was in his PDS, well, there it is, right? You know, I'm messing Oops. it up. But uh, <laughs> Sorry. So we're not even just talking about change of the paradigm from an automation perspective through Ansible. We're also just talking about general DevOps practices around automation for the mainframe, which I think is pretty cool. That, that Just more generally, now we have Ansible Automation Platform pulling the latest and greatest playbooks from you know GitHub or your source control management tool every single time you're looking to run that template from Ansible Automation Platform, right? So um, there's a whole DevOps angle to this, too, that I think is a complete new space that has not been uh, fully tapped into when it comes to Z automation yet. One of the things I hear from a lot of the customers that I've been working on, with on this is that the, the long pole in the tent is always getting their Ansible people to do to allow us to do things on Z. Uh, when can I just have this stuff installed on a Linux on Z um, 
environment so that I could just play and build my playbooks without without getting in with those guys. Because <laughs> I've had a customer that literally lost eight months because, well, we're going to go to AAP, and we don't want you touching anything until we go to AAP. It's almost like you you set up that segue so nicely for me, Frank. That was incredible. Um, so yeah, we are officially launching Ansible Automation Platform official S390X support at the end of the year this year. Um, we have currently have it in Devon Tech Preview. Um, so you can currently go out and obtain containers or operators to run your different Ansible Automation Platform components across the Z environment. But come end of this year, you will be able to download containers and operators to not only deploy the components of AAP on Z, but also the full platform on Z. So the different deployment options we are exploring there are going to be Linux on Z and Linux One, OpenShift on Z and Linux One, OpenShift on ZCX, and in the future we'll also be exploring a more dedicated ZCX route as well for the customers that want to run Ansible on ZC on ZOS natively. Um, and as containers come to ZOS more natively, you could expect that Ansible automation platform would follow suit. Jay's I'd jaw also, is on the floor. I'd also <laughs> kind of like to point out that, I mean, if you want to do Ansible in a controlled and managed and professional and automated fashion, Ansible Automation Platform is the correct way to go off and do that. You don't have to have Ansible Automation Platform, though, to run Ansible. Ansible, as far as I can tell, the Ansible core engine and technology is basically included with almost any modern Linux release that you're going to be running that could be run on a Linux One system. So if you have Linux on Linux One, you already have the Ansible engine. You can pull down playbooks and you can pull down packages from Galaxy and install them locally on your machine and you can go to town today and do that, independent of having Ansible Automation Platform installed. That's not holding you back. Now, if you want to go and have multiple people sharing a bunch of Ansible playbooks and controlling how they destroy each other's hard work, then, <laughs> then yeah, Ansible Automation Platform is critical for that. But if you just want to go off and get your hands dirty with the tools, you can do that right now. Yeah, I mean, there's one other thing I'd want to mention there too, for the because you mentioned in the beginning, Frank. You know, you've, you're working with a lot of customers who have actually already deployed Ansible Automation Platform within their business, and although we're providing this S390X flavor of Ansible Automation Platform to those customers that already have that enterprise environment set up. I am definitely not advocating that you go out now and spin up your own Ansible Automation <laughs> Platform environment, right? I would prefer that you um, acquire Ansible access, almost as Ansible as a service from the existing distributed team managing that platform so you do not have to become an Ansible Automation Platform administrator and you could focus on building your automation. Right? I, I can see how that could spiral out of control if... Uh... <laughs> yeah. If one were to take their DIY approach and start putting weight behind it. Why are you looking at me, Point? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jay's got an environment over there. Why don't you just talk to him? Shut up. <laughs> Go away. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's very much um, the, the cool part about Ansible is it literally doesn't care where it's being run from. It's just... Python, 
and Python is platform independent for the most part. So wherever you have an existing Ansible management engine, yeah, use that. Don't go make another one. And if you have a requirement as a Z customer to execute your automation from within Z, there are ways that we can create things called execution environments that kind of run the execution of the playbook on Z, but still orchestrate that call of running that playbook from the centrally located Ansible automation controller. Um, So we could target different environments for execution too. And it's interesting to me that the work that I've been doing with, with most customers in this space, how the Ansible work on Z has tended to force the distributed teams to look at their security models again and actually beef up their security because things that the the distributed guys would just kind of let go, um, Z people just wouldn't, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that's driving a lot of the customers I've worked with towards AAP are the security requirements um, that the Z people need. Is that from like a we refuse to run it if it looks like this kind of? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, they say, yeah, I, I get that if, if that takes down that one computer, who cares? But we have a little bit more requirements. A little, a little more, yeah. So one of the things was um, Ansible um, admins tend to be able to do anything they want, um, become any user, do anything. And, and that could be problematic hmm. from, a, from a Z perspective. And so AAP really kind of fixes those kinds of holes and makes it a lot more trustworthy to a, to a Z audience. I mean, we still uh, worked with a number of customers who have some pretty uh, hefty security requirements that we've had to jump through some pretty interesting hoops mm-hmm. to make work. Um, but... Uh, the distributed guys say, well, you know, it's a machine, one machine, what difference does it make? Yeah, no, what are they going to get? Well, yeah, on Z, we have a lot of stuff going on at the same time, so we have to be a lot more careful. Hmm. And, and, but a lot of the changes, especially with AAP, there are things that, yeah, make it more secure for Z, but it, make it makes it more secure across the entire portfolio. So the distributed guys are actually winning out from from some of the stuff that we're doing. Yeah, like I like to say, a rising tide, uh, whatever. Something brings up <laughs> boats rising, and stuff. Yeah, boats and stuff. A rising tide, boats and stuff. <laughs> if we ever make a Terminal Talk t-shirt. <laughs> well, um, uh, we're actually getting towards the top. We really are. Of the hour. We should also mention our, our uh, official sponsor of Dippin' Dots. <laughs> Dippin' Dots. We haven't given them we're, a shout out for a while. That's right. We're coming up on Christmas, right? Yeah. So we should definitely do the Dippin' Order Dots. Order your Dippin' Dots at DippinDots.com. <laughs> Ice cream of the future. Is that trademarked? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, that'll be problematic later. So um that that was for deep cuts right for people who've been watching the or listening to the podcast for a long time deep cuts <laughs> dip and dots dip and dots the ice cream you eat with your hands <laughs> oh man charlie please run us out you've been listening to terminal talk with frank and jeff for questions or comments or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode Direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. 
Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.